morning again. How's everyone doing? Good. If you could please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And if you did not get the message outline, there's one right outside the center doors there at the ministry counter this morning. I think the paper, what is it, blue this morning? The blue, blue sheet of paper right out there. Uh, we're in July. It's always fun to be in July, isn't it? Because summer's here. You know, many people think after July 4th, summer's over. But right at the beginning of the summer, really, right? Right at the beginning of the summer, it's nice out. I know we've had really cool nights the last few nights we have not, but it's been really nice summer so far. Kind of dry, but it's been a wonderful summer. But I want you to think of January this morning. I want you to go back and think of January. And in, in, in January, at the New Year's, many people make resolutions. I normally don't make New Year's resolutions, but many people do. And one of the main New Year's resolutions people make is to lose weight, right? They talk about going on a spirit, on a physical diet, right? Well, I want to think about, want you to think about, what if we all went on a spiritual diet? We all went on a spiritual diet, and that we were very conscientious of what we're allowing into our lives. Very conscientious of what we're allowed the culture to feed us, and how you're nourishing your soul. The Apostle Paul did this, and, and he said, basically, he had been feeding his life with prestige, status, power, and religion, and he says, no more of this. And he surveyed the scene, and this is what he said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, our memory verse for this week, when he says, what, what is more, I consider everything a, lo a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. They said, everything in my life is rubbish compared to my relationship that I have with Jesus Christ, right? Is what he said. Everything is rubbish compared to who Jesus is. And, and, I thought, and I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be with my life with God. That I would consider all the things that the world has to offer, everything they have to offer me, that I would consider it rubbish compared to what I have in Jesus Christ, amen? To the relationship that I have in Jesus, to who Jesus is, I consider it rubbish. Not that the world is rubbish and has nothing to offer, but when I compare it to who he is, it's all rubbish, amen? And not only do I want that for myself, but I want that for my family, and I want for that for my church family. How about you? We want that for, for all of us. And here's the thing. If you've been following us in our series in 1 Samuel, Nation in Trouble, the people, the leadership, were on the polar opposite side of that. Uh, if you remember, Eli could not keep his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in line. The Bible says about them that Eli's sons were wicked. They had no regard for the Lord. DSV, that says his sons were worthless men who did not even know the Lord. And so here, Hophni and Phinehas were priests who did not know God, and they were supposed to be representing him, right? But the people were no better. The people had their idols. They had contempt for God. They had a broken relationship with God, and they've gone astray. And now everyone did what was right in their own eyes, is what the Bible was saying. And so last week we learned that God was at work, though, raising up a young man by the name of Samuel. And this young man, Samuel, would promote true worship on God's behalf to God, for everyone to be worshiped and to God's people. And so, but before we get to that, before we get to the scene in chapter 7 of that, there's a lot that takes place. We're going to be in chapter 7. Israel is going to go through some devastating blows or consequences because of their sin, because of what they've done, how they disobeyed God and went astray from God. So in chapter 4, we read real quick. Let me give you a quick flyover of this. Israel goes out, and they meet the Philistines in battle, and they're defeated by the Philistines, and 4,000 of the Israelite soldiers were killed. 4,000 of them right away killed. They're defeated in battle. They come back. The elders of Israel kind of have a meeting together and say, what happened? What happened in this battle? I thought we were God's people. I thought God was for us. How could we lose? What happened to us? 
So they get this really, really bad idea. They come up with this idea, and they say, you know that Ark of the Covenant that God gave to us? It says, why don't we take that Ark from Shiloh and take it out into battle with us? Just like all the other nations do. They do that too. We'll take that out there with us, and let's take that Ark, our God, our idol out there with us, and we'll put that out there. And if God won't save us, maybe the Ark will. So they go out to meet the Philistines in battle, and they're defeated again, but this time it's much, much worse. 30,000 soldiers are killed, and also Hophni and Phinehas lose their life, and the ark is captured, is taken by the enemy. And when the news gets back down to Eli, the high priest, the Bible says that he falls back in his chair, and he breaks his neck, and he dies. You talk about a really bad day for Israel. It's God was taking care of judgment all the way around in the people of what they've done. And so in the midst of all this, we get to chapter 7, and we kind of pick up the story, but now it's 20 years later, 20 years later in the story. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. They are mourning. The people are not in a good place. They know they're God's people by name, but that's about it. That's all they really know. And their relationship with God is broken. It's stagnant at best. They're kind of in a spiritual rut, if you could say, a spiritual rut. But if we're honest with ourselves, or we're really honest, we've all been there probably at one time or another in our lives, haven't we? I mean, when it comes to a relationship with God, sometimes we're just going through the motions in our life, like singing the songs or just words. We're just looking up the screen. We're singing the words. We're just going through the motions. You know what we should do. When it comes to our relationship with God, we're not truly giving ourselves to the Lord. We're just going through the motions. We're just going through it and doing the things that we think we're supposed to do. If we're really honest with ourselves, when we think about our relationship with God, we're, we're not really—we uh, we allowed other things to crept into our lives. We put God kind of in the back burner. We put things before God. And now we're kind of—we're uh, spiritually stagnant, just like the Israelites— we're like in a spiritual rut in our lives. So if we're honest with ourselves, we've been there all in our times, and maybe you're there today, just in this spiritual rut. So what do we do with that? How do we turn that around? How do we get back right with the Lord? How do we get to walking with God? That's what I want to talk to you about today in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Let's look at what Samuel does to promote true worship in God's people. If you have your outlines, three ways to promote true worship in God's people. The first one, encourage God's people to see God's worth. We have to see God's worth is what we need. And Samuel kind of gives that in verse 3. And Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you were returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashbrits, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel is saying that God is worthy, that God and God alone, he's saying, is God. And God of God alone is the one that can deliver you. And God of God alone is the one that can deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. The Israelites try to be their own deliverer, and it turned out to be an epic failure, right? But Samuel's now saying to acknowledge God's worth, to acknowledge him by returning to him, what he's saying. But it's been 20 years now. Their hearts are callous. Their hearts are cold toward God. And how do we return to the Lord? When we feel like God is so far away. He's so far. How do we return? How could they return? And we think, how can I return when I've been so far away from him? And, and I mentioned this last week. One of the things we have to realize is that God has not moved. God has not moved. You may have moved from the Lord, but God has not moved. And he always is waiting for us to return. You realize that? God is always waiting for us to return. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. 
It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to us. That's our God. We serve a God who is longing, longing to be gracious to us. Think about that. And I think one of the great pictures that captures this is really the prodigal son. I like to bring up that story because there's so many uh, ways to apply that. The prodigal son where you have this son who basically says to his father, Father, I cannot wait for you to die. All right, I can't wait for you to die. Please give me my inheritance now. And his father does. He gives him the inheritance. The Bible says the son takes his inheritance, goes off to a distant country, and he squanders the money. So now he has to get a job. But a, a famine comes, so he ends up starving, not having any food to eat. Finally, he reasons to himself. And he says, my father's servants have more than enough food to eat. Here I am starving to death. I'll go back and I say to my father that I will be one of your servants. So he goes back home. And the Bible says that his father sees him from a distance coming, coming, coming to the home. So what does his father do? The Bible says he runs to him. He embraces him. He loves him. He gives him the mercy that he does not deserve, and he takes him in as his son. And that's a picture that God has given to us about himself, about who he is. That's the picture. God the Father is the picture, and you and I are the prodigal running away from God, and God is always ready to take us back. That's the picture. And when we look at that, is that a God that we can return to? Yes, no? Absolutely, right? Is that a God that's willing to show his grace to us? Absolutely he is. The second thing we need to think about as we're thinking about returning to the Lord, as we're thinking about coming back to him and giving him more of our life, to look at what Samuel has laid out here. We have to take inventory of our life and strip anything that anything in a way in our life that takes us from God. Anything that would do that. Paul described this this, this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. He says, You were taught with your regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He said that we need to put off our old self, our old nature, and as we're thinking about a relationship with God and returning back to him, the question is not whether or not we have idols. The question is, what idols do we have? And so many times we have this picture in our head when we think of an idol, we think an idol is a statue, maybe small, maybe a big statue, that we set up, and we light candles around it, we bow down and worship. Yes, that is an idol. But idols come in many different forms and fashions and all that kind of stuff, right? An idol is anything that sucks our time away from God. An idol is anything that makes us spiritually unhealthy. An idol is anything that keeps you and that takes God's place in our lives, that becomes more priority than God. And, and so if we want to be spiritually healthy, and hopefully we all want to do, amen, right? Then we have to value what we're taking in so we know what to cut out. Because we have to cut out those idols in our life, those things that have crept in and become idols, taking priority over who God is. And as we look at your life, what's taking the place of God in your life? It, it, it might be working too much. It might be an unhealthy relationship where you let a relationship come to the place that's above God and it should not be. It might be a desire for money. It might be a misguided hope. It might be a hobby that takes our time or re recreational time, whatever it may be. All those things not inherently are bad, are they? Like work is not bad, but if we work too much, become a workaholic, and work becomes more important than God, then that creeps in as an idol. And it's so easy to happen in our lives. And if I'm honest with myself, and maybe if you're honest with yourself, we're probably carrying an, an idol on our person right now, aren't we? How many of you have one of these things? Let's be honest. How many has one? I know one guy doesn't, I know. But you have one of these. It's called a smartphone. And we use our smartphones and all kind of, everybody has one of these. And these things, when they first came out, they said, they're going to save you all kind of time. How many of you find they save you time? 
It's like a black hole when it comes to time. Isn't it this little thing right here? The black hole takes a lot of our time. We're in it. Our hearts, heads are in it anything like that. And anything such as simple as a phone can put God on the back burner. And then we have things above and beyond that. We just don't only have our, our smartphones. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have TikTok videos, right? We, we've got TV. We've got Netflix. That now, you don't even have to start the next, uh, next movie or next section you want to watch. It comes on automatically, right? That doesn't even seem fair. Just things are coming on us. We just keep watching and watching and watching. We kind of get hooked, right? But all these things can suck our time away from God. Every one of them can suck our time away from God. And if we evaluate, we realize these things are becoming idols in our lives. And because these things are replacing God in our lives. And so we have to be willing to give up these things in our life. Doesn't mean we can't have them. I'm not saying you can't have them. Can't have a smartphone or can't have all these other things. But we have to be measuring how we use them. We have to be balanced. Blessed are the balance, right? None of, them, none of them can take priority who God is in our lives and give more time to them than we do to God. God deserves our attention, amen? He deserves our, our main attention. Not when we're half asleep. He deserves our undivided attention when we're wide awake. And so many times we want to get into God's word when we're not wide awake. When we've done everything else in our life and we've given God the leftover time and said, now, God, I'm going to get into your word and we're half asleep and we're opening up our Bibles and we're trying to read it or we're trying to pray and we're falling asleep. And many people say, oh, that's a good thing. I'm, I'm falling asleep on God's word. No, we need to give God our prime time because many times we say, uh, I don't remember what I read. I didn't get anything out of that because we're half asleep. We need to give God our, our prime attention as we're reading the word and we're praying. We need to do that with him. But, but there's the thing. And I got ahead of myself, but it, it can't stop there. That there's a negative action that God wants us to cut things away. We just can't be taking things away. There has to be a positive action that we're taking, right? Returning the Lord doesn't just remove something from our lives and take that out. It also actually means turning to God is what we have to do. Turn toward Him. In other words, what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4, he, he's saying, we just don't put off the old self, but we have to put on the new self, he's saying. And that's what Samuel is saying in this chapter. We have to put on the new self. He says, just don't put away your idols, but he goes on, but commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, is what he's saying. Samuel is telling us to be direction-oriented, direction-oriented. Oftentimes in America, you and I are destination-oriented, right? We're destination. You've got to get to the destination. In other words, give me the class. Let me go to the conference. Give me the book so I can just become the person that I need to be, right? Or we get destination-oriented and say, can I, I'm never going to get there. And when I get to this place, or when I get to that place, then I can start serving God. Or then I'll be able, because I'll have the answers, and I'll have the know-all. Then I can start. Once I get this job, or once I get over here, once I have children, or once I do this, once my children are out of the house, once they're out of college, then I can serve God. And we keep saying it. It's kind of that destination orientation we have, right? And many people have that in America. What Samuel is saying, we need to be direction-oriented. Direction-oriented. Where he said we need to constantly, day in and day out, Direct our hearts toward God. We need to pursue God with all of our hearts. Direction-oriented. Returning to God is a process, not an event. So many times we're looking for this event. I made that big commitment to God a long time ago, and I've already done that. No, it's a process. Constantly doing that. Committing ourselves to the Lord and turning to Him. Being direction-oriented. Uh, returning to God is that process. In our spiritual lives, God is concerned about our direction and not perfection. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about our direction than our perfection. And so many times we get so focused on perfection. God says, I know what the direction, because we can try to live out that perfection in our own 
in her own uh, strength, right? And God says, I want the direction. That's what's important, our direction. That's why he says to someone like King David, even though King David failed many times, and even though he was a murderer, even though he was an adulterer, even though he uh, slipped up time and time again, God could say about King David, he's a man after my own heart because he kept directing his heart toward God. Even though he failed, he kept directing his heart toward God. All the time, his heart was directed toward God. That's what God wants. When it comes to returning to the Lord, that's what we need to do. We have to direct our hearts toward God, that vertical thinking toward God. He's my helper. He's the one that's going to help me. That's what the people did. Let's read verse 4. So the Israelites put away their vows and asterisks, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel was leader of Israel at Mizpah. So they got, got rid of their idols. They fasted. The Bible says they, they prayed. They asked for God's forgiveness. So my question to you this morning is, if you had to take one step in the right direction, one step to get closer to God, what step would that be in your own life? What step do you need to take to get closer to God? That one step this morning, I could take that step. Or if you had to give up a little bit more of your heart to God, just a little bit more, what would you give up for him this morning? That can get a little closer to God. What would you give up for your creator, your maker, the one you call the Lord of your life? The one is your Lord and say, what would you give up for him? And as we take these little steps, and that's what they are, these little small steps are what equate to a transformed life. There's no regret in that. So many times we think a transformed life is when we take these gigantic steps for God. That's not a transformed life. I go to this event, and boy, you should have seen where I went. Because when we take these gigantic steps, believe me, I've seen it so many times, we're always taking these little steps backwards. It's those little steps that we take day to day. We're putting off our old self and putting on the new self. That's where the transformed life happens. Day by day, and those little tiny steps, that's what God is interested in. Those little tiny steps that we're taking with him as we're walking, getting rid of the old self, the old Doug, and put it on the new self. Be more like Jesus. That's what he wants. And my heart and mind is being transformed by Christ. It's a transformed life that God wants in our life. Those little steps. So don't think, oh, that just really, it matters. Those little things matter. That's where your life is being transformed by Christ. And the little things that we do, those little tiny things. As we read on, not only do we need to see God's worth, the second way to promote true worship in God's people is crave God's deliverance, is crave his deliverance. Let's read verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled the Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistine came up to attack them. And when the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid uh, because of the Philistines. The Israelites were afraid because the Philistines had decimated them 20 years earlier. And here's the difference. Back in chapter 4, when they had this fear and devastation and trouble, uh, 20 years earlier, this is what they said in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 3. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of the enemy. See what they said? Now, here's the difference. 20 years later, here's the difference. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8, this is what they say. They said to Samuel, Do not strive, stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may, save, may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. You see what happened? They went from this horizontal thinking to this, everything in this spectrum can save us, everything in this spectrum can help us, to vertical thinking, to say, no, God will save us, God will deliver us, God will help us. 
They went from there to there. So much so they so we have to be careful in our own lives that we don't allow the culture to creep in where we get into this mold that these things in the world right here can save me. That my job can save me. That my retirement can save me. That my security can save me. Or, or paying off my mortgage can save me. Or some government program can save me. Boy, I need that. If they could give me that, that could save me. All those things come and go. All those things are temporary, right? right? They only last for a very short time. But the only true deliverer that you have is God and God alone. That's it. Because what he gives you, it's not only for this life, but it's for the life to come. It's for eternity, right? It is eternal freedom, deliverance that God gives us. And it comes from him and him alone. And they realize that. Look at verse 9. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it up as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. And the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. It was God that defeated the Philistines, right? He's the one that had them routed. And the other thing I want you to notice, though, when it comes about their deliverance, how it came about was Samuel prayed on their behalf. And this is really important to notice, that he prayed on their behalf. If you're thinking about deliverance, you're thinking about deliverance from the Lord, uh, can I tell you it's not a solo venture? It doesn't mean that we can't be praying as individuals. We all should be praying, but it's something you want to invite others to. We want to invite others to be praying with us, right? That's what we want to do. Psalm 50, verse 15 says this, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. In that psalm, God is not speaking to an individual, but he's speaking to a community of believers, and he's asking that community of believers to corporately, to call up on me, and I will deliver you. Taking all of them, all of you together do that. And that's one of the reasons that we really stress small groups is that as we kick them off, we invite you to be a part of them, because we need each other. We need to be lifting each other up in prayer and be there as we go through difficult times, that we're there for one another. And that's what small groups kind of do as we're going through those difficult times. And God's deliverance is oftentimes realized through his people as he uses us. And many times we, we get God... We're praying to God for something, and God will use someone that we know to answer that prayer. And many times it could be in our small group for help or whatever it may be. And those people are lifting us up. So small groups are so important. And I encourage you in two months as we have our kickoff in September that you would be a part of a small group, be a part of that kind of small group that lifts each other up. The last thing we see, the third way to promote true worship in God's people, affirm God's favor. We need to affirm his favor. Verse 12 through 14. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israelite territory again. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to her, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the power of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. The only difference is they started following the Lord, right? That was the difference. But here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize what happened here. It's 20 years earlier. This is the place where Israel was decimated by the Philistines and lost all those soldiers. And this is the exact place, the exact same place right here, where now Samuel takes this stone, this monument, and sets it up, and he calls it Ebenezer, right at the exact same place. Ebenezer in Hebrew means rock. Ezer means 
helper. The Lord is my rock. He's my helper is what he's saying. And so what he's saying is in this spot of mourning and lamenting, it's going to be no more because God is going to take this failure and he's going to turn it into a victory. And we no longer have to live in defeat and sin and in our failures because God's bringing about restoration and redemption is what he's saying. He's bringing about something new, restoration and redemption in our life. And doesn't God do that for us? Isn't that a picture of the gospel? Isn't it what he did for us upon the cross? That he took our shame and he took our sins and through the cross we were made holy and righteous through Jesus, right? Before a holy, righteous God. So much so that the writer of Hebrews says that we can approach God's throne with confidence because of who Jesus is. And how great is that? He's now our Ebenezer. He's my rock. He's my helper, right? And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, that's the first place to realize that, that I need help. I can't live this life on my own. They were all sinners. Because we're sinners, we're separated from God. And there's no way we can approach a holy, just God. We have to realize who he is and who we're not. That God is holy, just, righteous, and perfect. We're not. We're sinners. So there's no way we can approach that holy, just God. And so we're stuck in our sins. And there's nothing we can do about it. So God fixed, the, fixed it for us by sending his son, Jesus, from heaven, who came from heaven to this earth, took on the form of a human being, and then he went to the cross, and God placed all those sins, all those things that separate us from God upon Jesus. And Jesus paid for them completely, paid for all your sins completely. But now you and I have responsibility. That was God's grace, what he did there. You and I have got responsibility to accept what he did into our lives. By accept his payment for our sins, by simply coming and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Today, I accept what he did for me on the cross. He paid for my sins. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service and get that decided. Before you can go on and say, God is my rock, he's my helper, he has to first become your Savior, right? He has to save you from your sins. And that's only found through Jesus Christ. By grace, we've been saved through faith in Jesus, only Jesus alone. And, and so if you've never done that, please do that today. If you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, and maybe you strayed from the Lord or whatever it is, always remember God is waiting with his grace for you to return. Always. He's always there. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how deep your pain is, your trouble. Remember, God is your deliverer, right? He alone can deliver you. He will. He will deliver you. No matter how deep that valley is that you may be going through, God and God alone can make that into a mountaintop. Because he cares for you. And he loves you. And he longs to lavish his grace upon us, is what the Bible says. He wants to lavish his grace upon us. He wants to help us in our time of need. Because he, he alone is our Ebenezer. He's our helper. He's our rock. He's our shield. He's our deliverer, right? All through the scripture we say, he will never let us down. He will always be there for us. Everyone else will let us down, but God will not. He will not let you down. So much so he proves it by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. We were stuck in our sins, and he said, I'll help you. And he sent his son. He's our deliverer. He's our helper. He's our rock. Who's who God is? He's our Ebenezer. And he deserves our praise. He deserves our trust. So let's surrender our lives to the one who is our deliverer. Let's put him first, top priority in our life. Don't let any of these other idols creep up into our lives. That so easily happens in our lives. And we don't think they're idols until we look What's taking more priority than God? Where do I spend most of my time? I know we have to go to work and stuff, but what do I do at that other time? Am I spending it with God? And why am I at work? Am I acknowledging God is helping me all through my day? What are we doing? Don't allow these things to creep in our life and take and put God in the back burner. But let's put God in his proper place. 
wherever you are today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, accept him as your Savior today. If you know him and you've drifted away from him, today you can come and confess that and make him first in your life. And just confess your sin and surrender. If you say, boy, I've been walking with Jesus, stay there. Stay there. And let's worship him and just give our hearts and minds. None of us here have arrived, including myself. None of us arrived, but we still have more to grow, still more to understand, still more to surrender to Jesus. Amen? So we all have room to surrender to Jesus and give more. And so let's think about that. What more do I need to give in my life? What do I need to surrender? What do I need to move out of my life? Doesn't mean I have to completely get rid of it, but need to cast it aside and do it less. What is it in my life so we can totally surrender to him and that he is truly, truly the Lord of our life in the place that he deserves to be? Amen? Let's worship. Let's, let's pray. Lord, come and we worship you. We praise you. Because, God, you deserve our praise. You deserve our worship. You are worthy. You are worthy of it, Lord. And we can't say that about anything else. We can't say that of any other person. But you are worthy of our, our worship. You have proved yourself worthy of your holiness, of your righteousness, of your perfection, of your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. Lord, uh, of your sacrifice when you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. And, Jesus, you came and you did it. You proved that you loved us. You prove that you care for us. And Lord, not only that, but you prove that you, you want to help us every day by giving us the word of God, by giving us your Holy Spirit to indwell us, to help us in our life, that we're not left here all by ourselves to try to figure things out, but we have God's word. We have the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. So Lord, you've given us everything we need to live this life. Help us, Lord, to realize that. Help us to realize all that you've given us, all the benefits that we have in Jesus. Lord, let us not squander them. But let us put you in the proper place in our life that you deserve to be. Top shelf priority. The Lord of our life. The King of our life. So we give our allegiance to you. And Lord, does it mean we can't have other things but we realize those things don't compare to who you are? That I consider them all rubbish compared to who you, Jesus, is. In my relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. That everything's rubbish compared to you. And help us to realize that. Help us to see that the Apostle Paul did. And as Samuel was leading the nation to understand that, to put off all these other things in our life and put God in his proper place because that's where God wants to be. And I pray that, Lord. I, I'm so thankful, Lord, that you love us, that when we mess up, you don't walk away from us. But your Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins and help us to realize as a compassionate father, as you did with the, the picture in the prodigal son, Lord, no matter how far we've strayed from you, you're always right there ready to accept us back, ready to embrace us, ready to love us, and offers, offers, offers the mercy that we don't deserve and take us back in as your son and your daughter. That's what's so amazing about you. You're God of second, third, and fourth chances, hundred chances, a thousand chances. That's who you are. We're so thankful for that. So Lord, I ask that each one of us, where we're at in our lives, we make that next step towards you in the right direction. So we'd have vertical thinking, that our salvation and our help not going to come through our jobs, not through our retirement, not through the securities this world has to offer, but only through our Lord Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our deliverer. He is our salvation. He is our rock. He is our helper. He is our Ebenezer. And so that we're so thankful. We're so thankful, Lord, that sometimes we drift away that we come back to your compass and you point us in the right direction vertically towards you. Help us, Lord. And if we haven't done that, Lord, I pray through this next song that we surrender our hearts and minds to you this morning and put you in the proper place that you deserve in our life. Lord, we don't make you, Lord. You 
are Lord. We just need to surrender our lives to you. You are Lord. And so, Lord, after we put you in your proper place in our own lives, and so we're so thankful. We're so thankful. We love you and we praise you. We ask all these things in that gracious name of Jesus.